Welcome to Almost Here, Around the Corner of Future Technology Podcasts with Richard Jacobs. Future technologies poised to transform our lives for better or worse are the focus of this podcast. Almost Here means these technologies are now here and starting to be used, or just around the corner, from Bitcoin to artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more. Coming to Dallas, Texas, September 14th, 15th, and 16th, 2018, the Blockchain and Future Tech Expo. This is going to be a gigantic conference of over 5,000 people. We're going to be talking about blockchain and its applications. We're going to be talking about quantum computing, cybersecurity, artificial intelligence, and several other future technologies that are poised to and actually changing our lives as we speak. Here's why you should attend. As you may know, early adopters are the ones that investigated and profited from things like the gold rush in the 1800s, from the dot-com boom in the 1990s, from the internet boom in 2005, from the smartphone explosion in 2007, from the real estate boom that ended in 2008, and of course, from the Bitcoin boom that started in 2012. Early adopters act now. They don't wait till later. They go out west first, and their covered wagons, they find the biggest gold nuggets. If you consider yourself an early adopter and you want to find the biggest nuggets, then you owe it to yourself to attend this upcoming conference. Blockchain is going to affect how we control and store our medical data, how we send money around the world, how we bank, and more. But artificial intelligence, quantum computing, and cybersecurity will play a pivotal role in our lives as well. And that's why our next event, September 14th to the 16th at the Dallas Convention Center, is going to have not only 5,000 plus attendees, but will showcase blockchain, AI, cybersecurity, quantum computing, and more. You want to get in on the coming gold rush of future tech and opportunity as an early adopter. Don't be left out. To register, go to bftexpo.com. That's blockchainfuturetechexpo.com. Thank you. Welcome one and all to the Future Tech Podcast. I am Alan Thomas, and today we have a couple of guests with us. They are the co-founders of Kanabu Distributed System. Uh, we have the CEO, Gabrielle Patrick, and we have the CTO, Barry McMahon. Uh, Hi there. How are you guys doing? Very good. Great. Okay, and we'll uh, we'll jump right into it, and, and uh, either one of you can answer this particular question, the hard question, what does Kanabu Distributed Systems do? Okay, I think we'll... In the interest of democracy, we'll split the, the answer. So um, Kanabu really focuses on bridging the decentralized world with traditional finance. Um, we have two propositions. Um, one of the propositions is financial services. And specifically, what we're looking to do is we're looking to tackle the problem, which is an open secret in the crypto economy, of blockchain businesses being denied banking. Um, we believe that banking is core and central um, um, to allow crypto businesses to fully blossom innovative models. And here in the UK, we're based in London. We've actually been engaging with the FCA, the regulator here, since 2016 on this issue. The issue is so compounded that companies that test innovative models in the FCA's regulatory test sandbox program um, themselves kind of get bank accounts, and the FCA has been trying to solve this problem also. So what we have been doing is we're taking the initiative to form a new type of financial institution ourselves, 
solve this problem for ourselves and for the crypto economy. Um, to allow our peers who are facing this issue to um, just be allowed to have basic banking and to evolve that concept into a more, um, a more optimized model. And um, so the other thing is, uh, our, our other proposition is um, a, pla a token launching platform, which we um, describe as the, we've coined the term token-driven development to describe this sort of uh, fundraising model and this, this way of driving a startup using a, um, tokens to raise funds. Um, but of course, there's some problems in the ecosystem as we see it. Um, of course, you have to know a little bit about Ethereum to launch your own tokens, so it's not really that accessible to like non-technical people or people that are not involved in the crypto space. Um, there are quite a number of scams because of that. Uh, there's no real barrier to entry apart from technical know-how. Um, so that can be a problem, and it kind of, um, you know, it discredits the general market, and uh, we want to we want to fix that. We want to help that. Um, sometimes, uh, you know, there are quite a few teams that which are not delivering necessarily on the promises. So we want to try and uh, incentivize uh, people to to do better and uh, incentivize ways to, you know, vet those teams so that uh, investors can expect them to do better um, than they may have done in the past, or at least have some kind of certainty towards that. Um, you know, all in all, it makes the market, you know, if we can help fix these things, we make the market more sustainable, and maybe take a little bit of the, the really overheated sort of um, speculative nature out of it. So uh, there's not really too many incentives to be responsible much in ICO today, so we're aiming to improve that. Um, okay. So you you say that uh, many of these businesses are, are actually denied banking services. Would you? Uh, mm -hmm. and, and this question is for you, Gabrielle. Uh, would you say that the reason for that is just out of out of a out of a fear because because it's just not because there's just not enough people who understand um, the blockchain space yet, or is it more about well we don't have complete we don't have complete controls over this like we do the traditional system? I think it's both. Um, I definitely feel that there's an element of anti-competition there. Um, many of our colleagues, and we've had these experiences ourselves in our past companies, um, would be denied backing um, simply because the name of the company has bits in it, whether the company is a custodian of digital assets or not. So what we're really talking about is wholesale de-risking, and we don't believe that um, a blanket approach, a blanket denial to access is the way to evolve any type of society. What needs to, if if the society is supposed to, the wider society is supposed to benefit benefit on a whole. What should happen is to adapt our models and systems as technology evolves, not to stick our heads in the sand and pretend that it's not happening, and um, and uh, uh, basically just deny innovative companies um, the right to trade. So um, I think it's really a combination of all of those. And and Barry, same question to you. Are you kind of in the same of the same opinion, or a little bit different? Well, I mean, I see it as essentially kind of anti-competitive behavior by people who own the current status quo. And um, in, in 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 the UK, there's only actually five major banks through which everybody, uh, all the other startup banks, would go through for clearing. And um, so, although you might think that if you bank with a startup bank, then you might have a little bit more flexibility. In the end, those startup banks are going to be 
um, playing by the rules of the people that give them their clearing because the people that give them their clearing will actually tell them, sorry, that's we don't accept that. So, um, of course, they are uh, trying to protect the situation as it is. They want, they want the status quo to stay as it is because they own it. So they do use the excuse of de-risking um, and they, you know, it's a little bit of a back and forth between uh, the regulator and the banking industry. The banking industry says the regulator told us that's how it had to be and the FCA says um, that the banks are, you know, um, interpreting what they said, um, let's say, to their own end. Okay, so let's say that uh, the my organization has, is one of these that have been like just like you said, blanket denied banking services. And then I come to Kanabu, and what does that what what does my what does the onboarding process look like for me? I'll 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 start with Barry and then go to Gabriel. Well, it, it'll be very similar to um, um, any other um, bank, except we're aiming to do an app only solution, so it should be a hell of a lot faster than um, the, uh, the the more traditional route of uh, providing your documents physically and all of that. Um, there's one startup in the UK called Monzo, which provides a really good user experience, and uh, that's been a, a big inspiration for us. But we're going to be tackling more of a business market, whereas they're retail focused, so um, a bit okay, more optimized and, and agile. Okay, and let me let me switch now to over to Gabrielle. What what does Kanabu's road company roadmap look like for the next 12 months to 24 months? What what's what's kind of coming down the pike for you guys? Um, well, at this time, we have a regulatory license pending, um, so we're waiting for that license to be granted. Um, we've already started to build out our software proposition, um, so that is in progress. Um, we, When you want to become a, a financial institution, especially a new type of financial institution, that takes time. So we feel that we have spent 18 months engaging very heavily with the regulators, and now we will be having a more focused engagement in terms of our proposition. Um, this will spill over into 2019, maybe the first quarter of 2020. So we're really hoping that, that, that by that time, we could start servicing our peers and offering um, just very basic services. Ah, and, and, what, and let me ask you this. What, um, and this may be a little early in the life cycle to, to ask this for your company, but I still always like to ask this question because everybody seems to have a really good answer for it. Uh, in terms of what types of developments for, for your part of the space seem way too ambitious, like they're maybe 20 to 30 years out versus developments that could be coming in the next five years? Like what kind of stuff, I guess, what kind of discussions have kind of taken place there? <laughs> That's a Barry question. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay, so, I mean, 20 years is a very long time in software and it's an even longer time in cryptographic finance as you well know um so our horizons are really nearer than that um i would hope that you know by that time um we would see uh, financial institutions and um, that have a, a more decentralized structure to be in a better position to serve the public um i'm I'm hoping to see decentralized models of finance um, become the standard. Um, I believe it, that will happen in less than 20 years. I think, well, we really already have a lot of that already now, and it's been happening, you know, Im Im amazingly fast, really. Um, perhaps it will take a long time for governments and states to accept it as, as a standard way. Um, so if we get that to happen within the next 20 years, I think I'd be 
quite happy. I mean, I think I just want to add that, I mean, what we're seeing now is the emergence of hybrid models. And I think that's a natural progression because you have this powerful technology which is developing and maturing quickly, but it's still early days. And so you have on the one hand traditional models, and then you have this new type of technology which really allows for peer-to-peer flow um, that could be validated mathematically. And so I think 20 years from now, we will see more, as Barry's saying, uh, decentralized models. But in the interim, we will see more hybrid models that are trying to combine the two. So in the future, are we talking about, um, as opposed to banks, we'd be seeing more more or less server farm kind of setups in terms of commerce going back and forth or in terms of currency? You know, um, I think that I try to keep out of the the implementation details, so to speak, of these things. What I would like to see that this technology brings is um, a flatter ownership structure over um, the financial system um, where the power and influence is distributed more broadly than it is today. Ah, I get what you mean. I get what you mean. And so... I mean, I, 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 sorry, I, per, I personally feel that financial institutions will evolve and I, I think one of the ways they will evolve is more to of a curation or curator role as opposed to purely centralized. And so, you know, in a way, it's not totally new in that we did see the emergence of models such as peer-to-peer lending and peer-to-peer finance. So I think this is just a natural evolution. Oh, so it'd just be, just be inevitable, the inevitability of, like you said, what we see now with peer-to-peer interactions going back and forth. This is just the next step. Yeah, I mean, you know, we see what the internet did for publishing and information and the access, the ease of access and um, the, you know, flattening of the hierarchy of of access to publishing and information. I think blockchain is going to do similar things for starting with finance, but a lot of other industry sectors too. And and how did and, and let me ask you both how did how did you both come to this point? How did you uh, how did you both get into this? Your your backgrounds and how did you end up forming the company? Uh, and I'll start with I'll start with Gabrielle. Um, well, I'm actually a lawyer by training, and um, in 2007, I did a, an academic paper, a legal paper on online gaming and virtual currencies. And I really was very fascinated by the concept of a, of a virtual currency. Um, I was running a very large financial institution at the time. And I like this idea that there could be this thing in an in-game world environment that, you know, um, um, had some sort of utility. I, I like that. And so through the course of my career, I was quite fascinated by um, digital worlds, digital game environments. And literally, um, I would say seven years later, I, I took the plunge to go more into social gaming models. Um, I thought that was pretty exciting. And then in 2012, um, Bitcoin came across my um, my radar. I didn't really understand what it was, but I did make the um, link that it was something that could be used in the in the real world as opposed to a virtual world. And so I thought that proposition was very, very, very exciting. And so I started to um, work with uh, Bitcoin startups, and then that led to me uh, co-founding a company here in the UK that specialized in international payments using blockchain as invisible reels. And so for me, it, 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 it's, it's a technology that represents an opportunity for fairness 
Um, and and this is what I this is what personally motivates me. <clears throat> yeah. So um, well, my journey in cryptographic finance has been a fairly long one. I started kind of uh, researching it in the late nineties uh, when I realised that um, cash's future was um, in peril, um, and I believed that I, I believed that um, the ability to transact anonymously and with a bearer instrument without having to ask permission was uh, something very important to uh, human society and um, you know maybe even take the view that it should be a right um, but um, it didn't seem the way things were going so I thought I came to the conclusion that really the only you know that the only way to maintain this um, this ability for people was to uh, was for the, by the development of a peer-to-peer a digital and peer-to-peer uh, network um, of uh, digital cash. Um, so I came across the kind of work I came across first was um, the Ricardian contract with Ian Grigg, which led to like the Open Transactions project, which is like a, an open source kind of banking project. I thought that was going to solve everything. It didn't quite get off the ground. Um, and I, you know, found out about Hashcash by Adam Back, and I got quite excited about that. Um, I thought that was going to lead to the solution. Um, but I was reading the work of some of the top cryptographers at the time. My academic background is actually scientific computing and computational chemistry, so I'm not really a cryptographer, um, or I wasn't a cryptographer by trade at the time, so I didn't feel I was really uh, able to contribute to the field myself directly at that time. Um, and the leading cryptographers, people like Bruce Schneier, are of the opinion that um, the creation of a truly secure peer-to-peer network was not really possible. So uh, when I, you know, I, I kind of resigned to some extent uh, for some years and then, then came across Bitcoin all of a sudden in early 2011 and I thought, wow, it seems like it seems like somebody's actually cracked this. It seems like they've actually got a good plan here. And then, the thing, then there's a quite a couple of radical directions that it went in compared to the early work, like the fact that it floats as its own currency and has this gold-like distribution model to incentivize people to actually get involved as opposed to like open transactions which kind of largely remained as an academic project which um, the common man if you like wasn't really interested in and so that quickly got you know very exciting I couldn't find anything that was really wrong with it that was going to make it fall over so you know that excitement turned to an obsession as I'm sure like a lot of us uh, have followed a similar journey. Um, so now I'm excited to see it going in um, new directions because, of course, uh, once you've solved the Byzantine consensus problem, you can apply it to all sorts of th- things outside of finance. So I'm really looking forward to uh, seeing seeing the impact on other other industry sectors. Oh, so you're so you're definitely ahead of the curve there if you were studying it in the late '90s. <laughs> well, that would be generous to put it like that, I think. But I mean, I knew that this needed to be done, as it were. Um, I was following it, um, so I'm I'm just glad that uh, more people have become aware of this this work. <laughs> uh, and and Gabrielle, I know you said you were a, a lawyer by trade uh, beginning. I, I just wanted to ask you: Do you think we're coming to a point where some of the uh, world's governments may be trying to uh, put together their own cryptocurrency as a way to try to kind of attract people or keep people close to them in terms of their their banking or currency needs? <laughs> Um, I mean, there's definitely a lot of conversation about it, and I do feel that if that is going to happen, I I personally feel the governments that will be the first will be the ones in developing nations 
the ones that have more critical need because maybe the the system has broken down and they are more open or receptive to alternative means to correct that problem or to solve it. So um, I personally don't think it's going to happen in the near future, but there is a lot of conversation about it. I mean, it, it, because it just it just seems to me that that would be the the next move if I'm someone, you know, if I if I'm if I'm a government official and and, and uh, because um, it's not it's not as if governments move very swiftly with this type of thing, but I would I wouldn't be surprised if there is some plan in place to try to try to do that in order to keep people, uh, like I said, kind of kind of closer to them in a sense, as opposed to abandoning the traditional currency model. Well, um, central banks I think have been talking about this since actively since 2014. Um, we're in 2018. I'm yet to know of a central bank that has, you know, implemented its own crypto. Um, because of how the central bank model is designed and the central bank money supply, I do think that the central bankers have certain concerns as to how that would work. And uh, my understanding is that any type of progress that has been made so far is, is in a, a pilot stage. So, you know, it's quite a different animal to move that from an experiment to, you know, a real world supply. And so this is why I'm just being a little bit cautious there that I do feel if it is going to happen, I think it's the countries that have more of an urgent need that will make it happen sooner than later. Yeah, I mean, uh, I would describe, and um, we have a term in software development called impedance mismatch, where two models are sort of incompatible and um you know this is the stage we're at we're trying to we're trying to map one model to another model to make things to make things possible for these um innovative businesses um it's a difficult thing <laughs> understood understood and let me just ask you for so uh, what is it and i'll i'll and and i'll switch up this time and i'll start with bear <laughs> what is it that uh you think makes Kanabu the most unique in its in its space, the most unique player in its space? Uh, skill set, really. Um, you know, a lot of experience in software business. Um, we're not like um, beginning in our careers with software. You know, our team is all senior people. Uh, we've delivered, um, we've all delivered, you know, high scale web applications and software systems in the past many times. And uh, combining that with, um, you know, um, Vast experience, Gabby's experience with uh, legal that goes back a long time, even before Bitcoin, in the world of virtual currencies. I think those that that is a powerful combination, um, and you know access to the people that in the sector here is also a very strong contributing factor. And 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 would you uh, would you add anything to that, Gabrielle? Um, the only thing I will add is that. You know, a lot of people in the blockchain space really try to tackle the same problem, but in different ways. I think that one of the things that we are interested in doing is to tackle that banking unavailability issue. It's not an easy um, problem to fix, but we do feel that we have the expertise and the insight to execute on that proposition. And so we've dedicated um, basically all of our time and resources to trying to address that. So I think that's one of the ways where we are a little bit different because it, it, it really is, a, 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 it's it's not a lightweight task. And, um, you know, if you speak to someone who really is from the Bitcoin community, um, you know, the idea of a bank is not very appealing. But we've seen firsthand how the lack of 
um, easy access to fiat just stifles and kills um, startups who have very innovative models, but they're, they're strangled by, by the access to commercial banking. And so this is what we want to um, tackle very seriously, um, especially since we're based here in the UK. Yeah, and I think um, actually being based in, the, in London is also taking a more global perspective quite an advantage because it is one of the most significant financial centres in the world. It's not um, a sort of you know a small offshore um, jurisdiction where you might be able to kind of get away with things, as it were. Um, so I think that will help for credibility for more institutional interest. You know. And and how would our 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 listening our listeners best get in touch with Kanabi? Like, what's the best way to get in touch with you guys with your company? So the website is knabu.me, and you can sign up there. We'll be um, added to the mailing list and. We'll be in touch frequently, not too frequently. And <laughs> um, of course, and so we'll 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 be engaging through um, to, with people through through that sign up process at this point. Um, you know, um, a more fully fledged uh, website with more features than that is coming soon. Yeah, I think the, I think the only thing I will add is that we definitely want to. Our wider goal is to serve society. So any type of blockchain company that's having an issue with banking services, we definitely want to hear from them. Please go on the website. Please drop us a line. We'll definitely be in touch. It's something that we are very interested in. Okay. Well, I want to thank both of you, Gabrielle and Barry, for being on the podcast today and sharing your time and your expertise. Thank you for having us. Thanks very much. Coming to Dallas, Texas, September 14th, 15th, and 16th, 2018, the Blockchain and Future Tech Expo. This is going to be a gigantic conference of over 5,000 people. We're going to be talking about blockchain and its applications. We're going to be talking about quantum computing, cybersecurity, artificial intelligence, and several other future technologies that are poised to and actually changing our lives as we speak. Here's why you should attend. As you may know, early adopters are the ones that investigated and profited from things like the gold rush in the 1800s, from the dot-com boom in the 1990s, from the internet boom in 2005, from the smartphone explosion in 2007, from the real estate boom that ended in 2008, and of course, from the Bitcoin boom that started in 2012. Early adopters act now. They don't wait till later. They go out west first, in their covered wagons, they find the biggest gold nuggets. If you consider yourself an early adopter and you want to find the biggest nuggets, then you owe it to yourself to attend this upcoming conference. Blockchain is going to affect how we control and store our medical data, how we send money around the world, how we bank, and more. But artificial intelligence, quantum computing, and cybersecurity will play a pivotal role in our lives as well. And that's why our next event, September 14th to the 16th at the Dallas Convention Center, is going to have not only 5,000 plus attendees, but we'll showcase blockchain, AI, cybersecurity, quantum computing, and more. You want to get in on the coming gold rush of future tech and opportunity as an early adopter. Don't be left out. To register, go to bftexpo.com. That's blockchainfuturetechexpo.com. Thank you. You have been listening to Almost Here. Around the Corner Future Technology Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Subscribe to this podcast, post a review, to discover more future technologies that are poised to transform our lives for better or worse, such as Bitcoin, artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more.
more. <laughs>